Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. I uh, <laughs> I was going to give you the, the the numbers, and I can't because you can't fucking see me because I my can't. camera doesn't work. Yeah, I think Corinne did her normal like countdown that she does for me, so that we're ready for that. Um, it's that being the intro. Oh my god. Yeah. And uh, her camera's not working, so that intro came out of nowhere for me a little I, bit. I'm so, there was no, <laughs> there was no good way. I saw myself trip down that hill, and I just I went for it, full face forward, no stopping. Beautiful. So yeah, in case you can't tell from the way we're talking, we are separate yet again. Um, this is at least partially a courtesy. I have had the cold from hell and I don't want to share. I think I'm still recovering a little bit from the horrible air quality last week because we live in a nice old Victorian house where the windows don't fully seal in some places. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Did I send you the pictures my sister sent me in Cincinnati? No, please do that after we record. I will do that. The skyline freaking vanished. That's terrifying. Yeah, it was way worse where she was. We, as bad as it was here, we lucked out. Yeah, if we have anyone listening in Canada, I hope you guys are doing okay. Stay safe. Filter your air as best you can. Yeah. All right. So on that super uplifting note... What are you um, drinking, Amanda? I am so almost 33, and it is almost 8 p.m. on a Monday night. So I am drinking Blackberry Citrus Kroger brand seltzer water. Oh, that one's really good. It is pretty good. We usually get the watermelon because I am nothing if not consistent. Uh-huh. Um, because watermelon is, in fact, one of the best foods on the planet. Just yes. is. Um, but no, this one's pretty good. It's really good. If you have to, if you have to drink emergency when you're sick, just <laughs> speaking from the last week here, <laughs> uh, it's really good if you mix it with emergency, like the cranberry emergency with that. Ooh, I can I see that. Solid. I did that when I had, um, uh, when I had, what's its butt, that thing that I had that's COVID. COVID? That's the bitch. We're doing great. <laughs> I'm I'm so well. Amanda, I'm so not sick anymore. Oh, I, I can tell. Um, and to make up for the fact that I am not firing on all cylinders, I'm actually drinking a can of uh UCC coffee. It's a Japanese brand of iced coffee. Um, I'm drinking it because it makes me feel like the main character. Love it. 
and I have a nicely organized fridge full of Japanese and Korean beverages and snacks because it's so I pretty. You I sent watched, me a picture. I watched too many like of those little aesthetic restock with me videos, and I was like, I could do that. So I did. Um, though I will say, for coffee, um, earlier today I tried out. So because this year has been the worst and very difficult and just awful for me. Um, my husband doesn't do emotions well, yeah, but he cares. He cares with all of his heart. So he splurged and got me the Ninja coffee system, um, which is pretty good. It makes, you know, we just make drip coffee in the morning because I need to be able to program something overnight so yeah. that I am ready to hop out of bed with all of the vim and vigor of a three-year-old. Um, but one of the coolest things that it has is it can brew directly over ice oh. for iced coffee. It's got that mode. And so then I went a little crazy and ordered a bunch of the Tarani coffee syrups. Yes, good. And my current thing uh, with the sugar-free syrups is to do a couple pumps of the chocolate and a couple pumps of the peanut butter in that with some vanilla almond milk in the iced coffee in the afternoons. And that is lovely. That does sound good. It is delish. And goes down too easy because I definitely fill up. Uh, Starbucks had a float in the Pride Parade here in town and they threw out the big like venti reusable cups. And since I will never go down and order in person at Starbucks with that cup, I just use that and make that sized iced coffee. I love that for you so much. <laughs> um, so what is our card for this episode? I am pulling for the first time from a brand new deck. A friend of mine and listener of the show Brittany, God love her. She used to work with me for years. Um, we love Brittany. We love Brittany so much. But she overheard me talking about the fact that I have kind of banned myself slash been banned by my husband from buying more tarot decks because of how many I have. By overheard, do you mean she just listened to the multiple episodes where you've said that? She's also heard it like at the gaming table <laughs> where I'm like, ooh, tarot deck. And Hunter's like, Corinne, no. <laughs> so she saw a Kickstarter and said, well, I want that for me. And if I get it for Corinne too, then I'm buying a gift and it's not so bad. And also she gets a new tarot deck and can't say no. So I me, see zero flaw in that logic. Yeah. No, the logic is brilliant. Um, she got me the moon prism tarot, which is um, Sailor Moon themed. Each card has art by a different artist. It's very cool. I feel a little guilty because I have never watched Sailor Moon. I am the worst. Wait, 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 wait. What? I never watched Sailor Moon. I, I think I've seen like two episodes entirely ever in my 35 years of life. Corinne, I'm sorry. I need a moment to just reconsider every interaction I've ever had with you. I know, ever. I know. I'm ashamed. Uh, but now I think that I am legally obligated to watch Sailor Moon. 
uh, you were in grade school in the 90s. Of course, you're legally obligated to watch Sailor Moon. I was deeply entrenched in I am not like the other girls misogyny. Yes, that's why we had anime. No, it was too, it looks too girly to me. And unfortunately, I was like, ew, pink, bad. No, I will not watch this. And now I am a grown ass woman and I understand these things better. And I just still haven't watched it because my two watch list is three miles long. Okay, but it needs to get moved up. And I don't care that you won't have the nostalgia filter. I don't. I don't I know. care. I, do, I lived with Keebs for how many years? And yeah, we literally, had, we literally had a shrine to Sigler Moon in our house. Yeah, does she know? She does know. And you lived? I don't know how. I think it's because our work schedules were opposite of one another so often. I just, I, I know, I know. All of that to say, I did draw from this deck, and I got the seven of seven of swords. Wow, I almost fucked that up big time. Uh, it's the card of theft and represents trickery and cunning and betrayal. Oh no. Um, could could mean that. Maybe you're the one betraying people. Maybe you believe that the ends justify the means. Actually, pretty on point for my segment. Same here, actually. Amazing. So that will be fun. Ah, uh, hey, Amanda, what's our topic this week? I'm really excited. We are doing another folklore in pop culture I episode. Love these. They are. They are our brand because this is junk food for it, my brain is, and my research. It is so much fun. Um, and I'm really glad we had this Sailor Moon uh, discussion for this episode. Oh, dear. Uh, so, as you know, Corinne, mm -hmm. I spent the entirety of elementary and high school taking ballet classes. Yes. You know, up to 25, 30 hours a week. Uh, in high school between classes and rehearsals and performances and all that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to make that everyone else's problem. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so today I would like to talk about the ballet Giselle and the liberties it takes with the stories of the Willies or the uh, Vila from Slavic folklore. Okay. So the ballet. Uh, and this is my, I guess, blanket disclaimer. I am going to be giving away the entire plot. Um, but I will say that I think ballet is probably the one place where you should go into a performance completely spoiled for the plot, just so you can pick up and notice the more subtle details in the dancer's performances. Um, I have seen one ballet ever in my entire life, and it's the Nutcracker. Which is also a messed up story. The more I look at some ballet plots, the more I'm like, okay, was everyone in France and Russia in the 1800s high? Yes. And the answer is yes. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to sum up the entire plot. If that is going to bother anybody. Uh, Maybe forward. for once in my life, I'll give us timestamps. Yeah. Fast forward to uh, Corinne segment or... I guess after I talk about it, but it's all kind of wrapped up. The whole plot is 
important, whatever. Uh, you've been warned. So the ballet is set in Germany. Uh, some, some people just assume that it's set kind of during the Middle Ages, but it's not clear when. So just like an ambiguous past? Yes, in a small farm community. So act one opens up on an idyllic sunny autumn morning where a, uh, what did I write in my notes? Good Lord. <laughs> where a man named Lois is courting the uh, title character Giselle, who okay. is a peasant woman with a weak heart. That is important. All right. So Lois, L-O-Y-S, is new to the town and the local gamekeeper, Hilarion, who is also in love with Giselle because she's awesome, mm -hmm. uh, according to the men. Um, Hilarion is uh, super suspicious of this new guy. And like, it's totally not jealousy. Mm -mm. No, man. Definitely not. Another important character here is Giselle's mother, who is discouraging just like everything Giselle wants to do. Well, she's, she's got like, a heart condition. You got to wrap that poor child in like cloth. And she's like a precious little babby doll. I don't yeah. know. I've never seen the show. No, you're pretty spot on. Uh, she's like, hey, maybe let's stick with the good local boy here that I know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't trust the new guy either because he's new and we don't like outsiders here. We don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And, uh, hey, daughter of mine, maybe stop dancing through the streets. Don't care how happy you are. You have a weak heart. Hmm. And Giselle is pretty much like, uh, don't care. Do what I want. Deal with it. So that day, a party of noblemen and noblewomen show up in town and decide to stop there to break for a meal and, you know, go, go slumming it with the common folk. Like you do. Lois immediately hides himself away. Well, that's not suspicious at all. Right? The noblewoman, Bethield, is enchanted with Giselle. You know, she invites Giselle over to sit down. They talk about love. Bethield talks about her recent engagement. Giselle talks about her new love. Um, they're having a blast. Bethield uh, gives Giselle a beautiful necklace. They're in lesbians with one another. I knew it. Gosh, I just, the story would go so much better for Giselle if that were the case. <laughs> uh, the nobles eventually pack up. They, they head out. Lois comes back out of hiding and starts dancing with Giselle. Mm -hmm. uh, now, of course, act one doesn't end there. It, snooping around Lois's house, Hilarion finds a really nice sword and a hunting horn. Well, that's not suspicious at all. Which he decides to blow. Oh, oh. Hmm. The group of nobles turn around to come back because they recognize the horn. And once they are back in town, Lois is exposed as not being the commoner he presented himself as. He is Duke Albrecht, Lady Bethield's betrothed. Oh, shock. Giselle does not handle this well. Okay. Uh, she goes a smidge mad. 
it happens. And it's, it's a really beautiful sequence to watch, especially if the lead dancer can emote well, because she just, she starts dancing really frenetically and it's frenetic versions of the steps that she's been doing throughout. So she's kind of recreating every moment that she's had with the Duke getting faster and wilder. You know, she does all the steps of their pot de deux from earlier, but by herself, uh, there's a moment earlier where she's like picking daisies, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. And she starts doing that frenetically while turning. And it's just visually stunning. This is one of my favorite ballets of all time in case you can't tell. Um, now she gets faster and faster until as her mother feared, her heart stops from overexertion and grief. Well, shit. Um, thus ends Act One. Super cheerful. Have fun at intermission. Mm-hmm. That's why they sell alcohol. <laughs> Act Two is where uh, the Willies, the vengeful spirits of women who died before their wedding day, show up. Led by the Queen of the Willies, Martha, the Willies take turn dancing with any man they come across until the men die of exhaustion. Wonderful. I love that. And the yes, the beginning of Act Two is Giselle's first night as one of these spirits. So our buddy Hilarion, the groundskeeper, comes by her graves grave with flowers, and like I'd be distraught if my decision to blow a random ass horn killed the person I loved. Yeah, fair. It's, not, it's really not his fault for once. Like I'm going to give it to the guy, right? Like. Yeah, he was a little jealous, but also blowing a horn is not murder. It's also like I've only ever tried to play a trumpet once because my older cousin handed me one when I was like seven. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. It's actually challenging. Yeah, no, you you got to have a robust set of lungs on you. Yeah, it's um, it it ain't easy. So, like, mad props to him for getting it right on the first try, right? So he is, of course, found by the Willies who oh, dance him oh, oh, oh. to exhaustion, and then I guess they get super upset about how long it's taking for the guy to die, so they go and drown <laughs> him in the lake. <laughs> kind of throwing some Rasalka in there too, huh? Yes. Uh, the the two, it, we'll get to it a little bit later, but the two uh, are historically linked is a bad word, I guess compared, the, okay. the two sets of spirits. Um, now, our favorite asshole, Duke Albrecht, also comes to the cemetery where he sees Giselle's spirit on her own, and he asks for forgiveness for his part in her death. And okay. because we're supposed to believe that their romance was the real deal, she forgives him. Oh, girl, love yourself. Right? Georgie, don't drink my coffee. Um, right. Look, George just wants to be a caffeinated kitty cat. He cannot. But he wants it. Anyway, her fellow willies uh, mm -hmm. have the, what I think is, correct reaction. And they want to dance him to death. That's very valid of them. Because, you know, sure, 
maybe Hilarion shouldn't have blown a horn he didn't own. But maybe don't come up with a fake identity in order to cheat on your fiance. Yeah, it's it's not a great look for that guy. I'll I know. I, I know we're we're diving into some real controversial waters here. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I have some really, really strong opinions about classical ballet plots. Uh, tune in next time to hear me complain about the fever dream that is Capelia and dolls. I have never even heard of that. I've, I've at least heard of Giselle. Oh, no. I don't know shit about Capelia. it. But. Capelia is another one of my absolute favorites that we'll never be able to cover on this podcast because it's just a fever dream of, is the doll actually his daughter or is it a doll? I don't know. Everyone gets married at the end. <laughs> Not the doll. <laughs> it's another one of my favorite ballets. I just, they're so ridiculous and I love them. Anyway, um, because Giselle forgave him and she still loves the Duke, even though she's a vengeance spirit, she really loves this guy who oh. made her the other woman. Uh, so she steps in and dances with each spirit that tries to dance with him throughout the night, ending only at dawn when the spirits fade until night falls again. And that's the end. Okay. The Duke's life is spared Man. because Giselle doesn't love herself enough. I don't think that's what the moral is actually supposed to be, but that's what I get from it. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like a really, really physically demanding show it is and act two is really interesting this is a ballet podcast now <laughs> um, because it was originally choreographed to show off just what a large ballet corps could do and so with the exception of the men's parts in act two the Duke, or he's a man, I guess, whatever, uh, Giselle and the Queen of the Willies, Martha, <laughs> all of the other dancers are dancing in sync with each other with at least two other people the whole time. Everyone's in the exact same all white costume. Uh, nowadays, the lighting is always done so that everything takes on an almost black and white feel. Oh, interesting. And, you know, act one is just super bright and happy and bubbly. Act two is always super somber and black and white because these vengeful spirits will never experience the joy of life again. Mm -hmm. um, it's really great if you have an opportunity to go, to go see it. Everyone should. Uh, the ballet itself was a massive success when it premiered in Paris in 1841, and it really injected some renewed appreciation for what was a little bit of a dying art at the time. Uh, starting with the French Revolution, the popularity of the ballets at the time really started to nosedive because huh. they were all focused on nobility main characters. Okay, that makes sense. And this is about when we start to see some ballets about more normal people. Mm -hmm. um, and a really fun fact, the uh, man, the uh, male ballet dancer who originated the role of Duke Albrecht was 
Louis Petipa, who was the brother of Marius Petipa, who is kind of like the original master choreographer. You know, he choreographed the original Sleeping Beauty, the original Nutcracker, um, the original Swan Lake. You know, he, huh, he was okay. it. Um, and I just thought that was cool. So how close to the actual mythology was the ballet? I don't and, know. Uh, we all take poetic license when we write. Mm -hmm. So the Vila is a Slavic fairy type spirit uh, described as similar to a nymph. Yes. They are always female spirits. And they have a really interesting relationship with humanity depending on where it, depending on what region you see mm -hmm. them in. Okay. Uh, sometimes super nice. Um, in Serbian epic poetry, there is almost always a Vila helping the hero along the way throughout the entire hero's journey. Oh, okay. But if you insult that Vila, they will put a blight on your crops, hurt your livestock, kill you, whatever they're in the mood for. Very girl boss of them. Love it. Right? And in Czech folklore, they are pretty much always malicious unless you just avoid them entirely. And here's where I start to see the similarities. In Czech folklore, they are said to entrance men who wander into their territory. Okay. Um, often dancing around in a circle to trap the man in the center. And men trapped in this way are never seen again. Okay. Yeah. That. Like, I don't know a lot about Vila, but, like, the whole entrancing men thing mm -hmm. tracks with, like, the very little that I have ever read about them. Right. Uh, so, how did the whole woman who died before marriage thing come in? Um, and the name change from Vila to Willy. I'm going to blame the Germans on that. Yeah. <laughs> So the brains behind the ballet, um, Adolphe Adam, read Heinrich Heine's um, De la Allemagne. Mm -hmm. I mispronounced that crazily. Thank you for not judging me too much. Which well, describe... Honey, I always judge you. <laughs> but I know you judge me too, so, you know, turn it's about true. to reply. Um but that describes the Wila as a Slavic folklore spirit who died before their wedding day and danced, danced men to death. Okay. Um, and as far as I can tell, this is Heinz's own interpretation of the stories he heard. Um, and the particular before the wedding day bit was a bit of a misinterpretation as some areas had the Vila being spirits of women who died, quote, before their time. Um, which is believed to mean women who died without becoming mothers. Yeah, because that's all we're good for. You know. Um, and then, since I completely forgot at the top of the segment, my sources. <laughs> this. <laughs> we're good at what we do. We're great. Everything's fine. Uh, were the Wikipedia article about the ballet Giselle, the Wikipedia article about Vila, and the Pedipa Society's article about Giselle and its history. Cool. And that's my segment. That was neat. I didn't know any of that. 
Oh yeah, and seriously, if you get a chance, or if you just want to watch a really, a really neat interpretation of the Giselle storyline in, it's either the 70s or the 80s, and now I am blanking, um, maybe the 90s, maybe I'm making the dates up, <laughs> uh, but the Dance Theater of Harlem did a production of Giselle that they set in 1840s Louisiana. Ooh. And if you don't know the Dance Theater of Harlem, it is a dance company for dancers of color. So it's examining the politics yeah, that of 1840s Louisiana in the context of this story. Interesting. It's it's gorgeously done. They it might still be up on YouTube. I if I was a nice person doing my notes i would have looked it up before this but i know in 2020 they put the whole production up on youtube um so that people who were stuck inside during lockdown could watch it huh All right that's my segment okay okay buckle in amanda because i did the thing that i've been threatening to do for a while <clears throat> okay and this is about selkies yeah <laughs> and we already did I already got to do an episode about them, so I had all this research already on hand. Um so, sick. It's fine. I wrote these notes before I got sick. Well, you know. I well, okay, so I was gonna do Arthurian Legends, but then I decided to make it my life's mission to find a physical copy of um Tolkien's translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And I only recently finally found a physical copy of it. So Arthurian legends will come next time we do one of these. Anyway, most of my research is actually stemming from the research that I did for the episode on Selkies. Um, I will also be pulling in some stuff from tour.com and bookriot.com as I go into more of the media that features Selkies. Okay. Uh, so I will quickly rehash a few of the more common stories on the origin of Selkies. Just because they're really fun and I like them. And it's your podcast, babe. It is. It is. Well, it's partially my podcast. Um, so, yeah. Again, my favorite explanation about Selkies is that they are actually fallen angels. Um, so when, according to some traditions, God cast the rebellious angels out of heaven because they sided with Satan... Uh, the ones who landed on Earth became what we know as fairies, and the ones who landed in the sea became selkies. And okay. they're various in the depths critters. Um, in Norway, there was a common belief that the Finns, which is what they referred to as the indigenous Sami people, especially their shamans, could just fucking turn into seals. I mean, as reasons and magic reasons and magic uh and one of the sources that i found and it is it is linked in this text is a book called the the good people and there's a tale about a norseman who stabbed a seal for reasons and then later had his knife returned to him by a finn who had a scar from the knife wound oh right because i'm used to seeing selkie stories from the british isles especially like the northern parts of scotland and ireland and it makes sense 
that the Nordic regions also had these stories. Was it returned like in his flesh? Because I feel like if someone stabbed me. If I'm remembering the story right, and I would have to go back and look. I think he's just like, hey, bud, here's your knife. Like, hey, bro. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why it didn't occur to me. Like when I first, when I very first started doing this research, like I never would have thought like, oh, there's going to be a lot of crossover between Nordic stories and some of the more Northern Celtic stories because there was already that cross-cultural interaction, communication, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the explanations that I have seen is that when the Vikings invaded Orkney, the fur-wearing invaders were somehow mistaken for seals transforming into people. Okay. A couple of other variations on this is intermarriage between the residents of Orkney and Sami and Finn women who used sealskin kayaks and wore furs. And when you consider the fact that a lot of Selkie stories are about women who are seal maidens, makes a little bit of sense there. Yeah. And then the one that just really makes me giggle is that it is believed that they were dark-haired, shipwrecked Spaniards who got, you know, washed ashore. <laughs> Why? Why? I don't think I've ever looked at a Spaniard and thought, ah, yes. The only, That's only, a sea puppy. The only Spaniards I know well are the ones who go to church with my parents and started praying for me to find a good Catholic husband when I was 16. <laughs> no joke. When my dad told Dr. Grimaldi that I was engaged, you know, when, when Hunter first proposed, he goes, oh, thank God. Immaculata can finally stop praying that Corinne will find a husband. <laughs> I'm sorry. <sighs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This is my life. <laughs> Welcome to small Catholic communities in Kentucky, y'all. <laughs> it's so true, though. I know. Anyway, back to selfies. Uh, one of the more sciencey leaning explanations is that it's a way to explain, I can never pronounce this word correctly, syndactyly, which is the condition that causes webbing between people's fingers. Mm hmm. And so before our understanding of modern medicine got as strong as it is now, and God knows the human body is still a massive mystery on so many levels. Um, but if you had any sort of abnormality or deform uh, deformity, it was frequently blamed on the fair folk. So like if you had web fingers, your mom was banging the fae. And I mean, good for her. Right? So that's kind of just a brief overview of some of the different explanations for selfies. Uh, again, the stories are common throughout the British Isles, especially when you get into Northern Scotland, the Orkneys and all of that in Ireland, um, Iceland, Norway, all that fun stuff. It's pretty cool. So selkies are a popular motif in literature, ballads, and film. And they are often categorized in a larger grouping of folktale motifs known for the Swan Maiden, um, yeah, so the basic story beats of these usually includes a young man who is taking an enchanted article of clothing from a usually beautiful young woman, thereby acquiring a spouse. 
Uh, so long as the human half of the couple has the enchanted clothing, the supernatural spouse is essentially trapped in this marriage. Right. However, because of the wide variance in animal bride and groom stories and their enchanted clothing, they're not all categorized under the same Arne Thompson index. And it's a little bit more scattershot. Uh, and the Wikipedia article on Swan Maidens actually has a much better explanation than I can give succinctly. <laughs> um, but I thought that was really cool because I, I do tend to, when we start getting into the more fairy tale-y type things, I, I do like looking at the Arne Thompson Index. And, you know, we discussed last episode where they were tracing back how old stories are and how far back into our time they go. And they use the Arne Thompson Index right as a way to organize what stories they were looking into so i just thought that was really cool um and in terms of some of the pop culture where you can often find selfie stories i have made a list i have made a list all right guys another syllabus from corinne uh and there's uh, there's more i'm limiting myself to things that i'm reasonably certain i have seen or read or listened to I say reasonably certain because of the first thing on this list. Um, it's one of the classics. It's the 1994 film, The Secret of Roan Inish. And I am including this one because I think I watched it at Adrian's house when I was very little. Because I remember the VHS tape. I have zero familiarity with this. Uh, it is a Fairly, it's a very charming film about a young girl who is sent to live with her grandparents in Ireland. Uh, their family has been struggling because one day her little brother was washed to sea. And she becomes convinced that he is actually living among the seals. Okay. So there's a whole plot line where she is trying to spruce up the island where they were once all living because everybody has moved off of the island. I think this is supposed to be like right post-World War II. Um, so she's trying to spruce everything up because she believes that if she can remake this home, her little brother will come back because she oh. believes that she's him playing amongst the seals. Oh, that sounds like a sad movie. Um, I read the synopsis and I'm like, I have like there are certain scenes that i'm like i think i've seen this but mm -hmm. i don't i don't remember because i mean 94 i would have been eight no hold on six i can do math i was about to say you're not that much older than me now i would have been six i'm just really bad at math so um it is frequently cited in modern tellings of selkie stories and from what i read it sounds like a very charming film it does have a happy ending. I can promise you that. Okay. Uh, and another, another more contemporary film, and one that I know for a fact that I've actually seen, is Cartoon Saloon's Song of the Sea from 2014. Uh, that one is about a young boy who lives with his father and his little sister. His father is a fisherman who wants his children to have nothing to do with the sea. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, but his sister is nevertheless drawn to it three guesses why and the first two don't count uh, a seal that's not really a seal she do make a real cute little baby seal yeah 
Uh, but Cartoon Saloon is probably one of my favorite animation studios out there. And even if you aren't into Selkies, I do recommend watching it purely for their unique style. They also did The Secret of Kells. And Gosh, the um, animation on that is yeah. gorgeous. And then there's Wolfwalker, which I still haven't gotten to watch because it's on Apple Plus and I don't want to pay for another freaking streaming service. Right. I think my parents, no, my sister has it. My parents have been using her login, so I might ask my sister if I can borrow her so I can watch it. Um, in terms of literature, I'm going to bounce around here now. Uh, the very first time I ever heard of Selkies, in fact, not including Secret of Roninish, which I cannot confirm that I've ever actually seen. <laughs> uh, there was a middle grade novel called The Folk Keeper by Franny Billingsley. And it actually incorporates a lot of Celtic folklore, including stories of the Selkies. And I don't that, like, Sorry, what were we saying? That title sounds so familiar. Yeah, I don't want to give away a lot because it's a really great story and has a very cute romance in terms of like middle grade novels. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will fully admit that the only reason I picked it up in the bookstore when I was a child was because the main character's name was Corinna. And I don't see my name in English language books. That's valid. So I was really excited to see something close to my name. Uh, I would obviously be remiss if I did not mention the role that Selkies play in Shauna McGuire's October Day series. Oh my gosh. It, don't get attached to anyone or anything in that series. It just leads to pain. That series leads to pain, and I cannot wait for this year because we are getting two books. Two books? Two books. She just, she leaves so much tragedy. So much tragedy into the Selkies. Uh, she keeps the core of the Selkie lore the same while also putting her own spin on things, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I can usually be found screaming, crying, and throwing up after reading her books. I highly recommend them. It's true. Uh, you're welcome for being introduced to them. Yeah, if you haven't picked them up after listening to us talk about them for two years. Um, and then if you are looking for music about Selkies, uh, there is the child ballad, The Great Silky of Soul Scary, which is a really fun one and still tragedy. Um, I feel like that's not uncommon with Selkie stories. Okay, well, there's one called The Maiden and the Selkie. Mm -hmm. um, and I, hold on, I have to look up the singer because I actually just recently found out that the singer has transitioned and the name that I have in my notes is actually their dead name. Ah, so, so let's not. Yeah, so I, let me look up. No, they, and they put the music out while still identifying as female. Right, but... But I still like, I want to use the proper name, so I have to look this up really quickly. Oh, Alexander James Adams is his name. That's a good name. It is. So, yeah, his song, The Maiden and the Selkie, is really sweet, and it doesn't end with me weeping, which is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is also Talis Kimberly's Still Catch the Tide. Which is love that one haunting Shauna McGuire's cover on her Stars Fall Home album. I will talk about until the sun goes down. I love it so very much. I'm so glad I bought that album. 
also fun fact that album is where our opening and closing theme comes from because it is john and mcguire graciously allows us to use that and uh how would we have started quite the insane amount of this podcast if not for her works no no i think uh picking up rosemary and rue the first book in the toby day series when borders was going out of business the first three books were out i was able to purchase them all and then i said corinne you have to read this and then we realized we both really 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 like folklore inspired media yeah no wait wait hold on you had me read feed first i did and then i found out that yeah Mara grant was also shauna mcguire so i was like well guess i'm gonna go find that series too because you were like corinne read this book it's about zombies and i said no and i said too bad and then i read it anyway and decade plus later here we are yeah yeah i think uh <laughs> one of the most fun times possibly because i had no real adult responsibilities uh was when we were doing couch to 5k and right after the most recent toby day book came out we would go for a run in seneca park on the oh loop and discuss our theories yeah we're really a she's very good at bread coming b we are very good at putting those breadcrumbs together i know oh my gosh i found not that anyone listening cares and i don't care this is our podcast and i can say whatever <laughs> uh, i forget what i was searching for in my email but i found an email between the two of us from 2016 that put together several major did, plot points that we didn't find out until last september i have never been so mad about being correct in my entire life <laughs> anyway. i want you to know i was literally sitting in a hotel in new york screaming screaming crying throwing up like i do yep texting furiously because i was so angry <laughs> and on that note that's really all i have because i i probably could have expanded these notes i had the time i have zero brain however and uh this is what you get i mean Enjoy. the fact that we have zero brain i think has to be the appeal of this podcast because i can't possibly <laughs> imagine what else it is oh lord you're not wrong <laughs> you're not wrong anyway bone apple teeth oh my goodness we are unwell nope not even a little bit it's fine it's are fine. any of us like doing okay in the year 2023 truthfully no. no we're not yeah okay all right i'm sorry all right well that was really fun i really liked that one that was a good one yeah uh thanks again everyone for listening uh sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares good night thank you for listening to graveyard coffee talk our theme music is pretty little dead girls by sean and mcguire copyright 2006 and used with permission our cover art is by kyle welsh 
If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Yeah.